Welcome to another London Council's Let's Talk About podcast. My name is Valerie Solomon and today we're going to talk about the London HIV Prevention Programme with my guest. I am Paul Steinberg. I am the strangely titled LEAP Commissioner and head of the London HIV Prevention Programme, which includes Do It London, the big HIV public health campaign for Greater London. Thanks, Paul. So just to set the scene for us, um, what is HIV and how is London affected by this condition or disease? So HIV stands for Human Immune Deficiency Virus, and that has been around uh, for almost 40 years now. First diagnoses of HIV in this country, around the world actually, in the West, were in 1981. So I always say that HIV has been around as long as I have, because I was born that summer that the first case was identified in San Francisco. HIV made its way around the Western world and was particularly uh, a particular problem in some countries. The UK was very fortunate in the sense that it it didn't ever have a very, very high incidence of HIV. Although, of course, in the 80s, like in every other country, HIV was a hugely uh, scary and uh, unknown disease uh, that brought with it lots of fear and lots of stigma. And if you think back to the mid-1980s, in 1987, HIV probably became first most known to the public because of the big public health campaign led by the then Margaret Thatcher government, which was called Don't Die of Ignorance which is the iceberg or tombstone campaign. And that was the very first big public health campaign focusing on HIV. So 30, just less than 30 years later, when we launched Do It London, that was very much in, in my mind. And over the years I've been working in this field for 20 odd years, um, I've seen HIV affect different communities in different parts of the country. I think it's fair to say that, in, that London is the most affected uh, city for HIV in this country. Uh, we have about half of all cases of HIV. Um, but also in many ways in the last three or four years, London has made the most progress in combating HIV and seeing a downturn in new diagnoses. And I'm sure we'll talk about that during this podcast. Thanks, Paul. So could you tell us specifically a bit more about the London HIV Prevention Programme and what you see as its purpose? Sure. London HIV Prevention Programme uh, was created, uh, set up in 2014 by the Directors of Public Health for London. This came at the point just after public health had transferred into local authorities, um, all public health responsibilities, including sexual health and HIV, became the responsibility of uh, boroughs around the around England. There had been uh, NHS public health funded programmes of HIV prevention in previous years. The, the previous programme was called the Pan London HIV Prevention Programme, and that was funded by the Primary Care Trust between 2001 and 2013. For various reasons, it was felt that that programme had been um, somewhat of a failure. Um, HIV rates had gone up um, quite significantly during that period, particularly in certain groups. Uh, we'd seen an, a rise in incidents in London um, and some quite alarming changes in behaviour. And it was felt that although we were spending as, as, as PCTs almost £3 million a year on that programme, plus what was going on at local level, we weren't getting value for money from that programme for various reasons. And also that the services that were commissioned weren't really fit for the 21st century in some ways. So an example being we used to commission the production of leaflets and um, you know we're in a digital age now. So one of the big decisions that we made was the, the new public health programme funded by the councils would include mass communications, but that we wouldn't be producing leaflets, we'd be using digital social media. 
So the uh, London HIV Prevention Programme also has other activities under its um, mm. remit. Could you just tell us a bit more about those? Obviously, Do It London's the one, uh, the, the, the area that most people are aware of, but the programme also undertakes other activities as well. Yes, yeah, so uh, the, London Pro, the London HIV Prevention Programme consists of the branded campaign Do It London, and often that brand Do It London has extended to become interchangeable with the LHPP. Um, but very importantly, we spend a fair, we spend half the budget on the other side of the programme, which is the bit that many people won't see because it's uh, more face-to-face -face services. And that consists of um, a free condom distribution scheme for men who have sex with men. That's via uh, gay and bisexual men's venues across London, and sometimes through some community venues. Um, and the other big element of that is a big outreach, sexual health promotion, and free testing for HIV service. So uh, every night of the week, generally in London, if you look at our Twitter feed, you will see that the providers that we commission to deliver that service are out and about somewhere, whether it's in Havering, Haringey, Lambeth or Southwark, delivering rapid HIV testing, advice and, uh, and free condoms to gay men. Now that service is only for men who have sex with men, for various epidemiological reasons that we can talk about, but Do It London is for everybody. Thank you, Paul. And one of the, the um, well, so what's the key aims of the um, HIV prevention programme and how does it try to speak to Londoners in a, in a different way? So the overall aim of the of Do It London and the, the programme is to reduce the incidence of HIV in London. We want to see rates of new infection coming down and rates of diagnosis coming down on the basis that we've diagnosed the people that we need to, to, to test. And we do, we achieve that overall objective through a number of sort of sub-objectives, which is number one, to promote safer sexual practices, number two, to promote awareness of uh, HIV prevention, and number three, to encourage um, more people to come forward and get tested. Um, and, and really putting those aims and objectives together has been the guiding principle of the programme, which is underpinned by a big piece of work in 2013, which is called the London HIV Prevention Needs Assessment, which really was the, was the formal document that both assessed the previous campaign, the previous programme as not functioning well, but also identified what works in HIV prevention, what should be commissioned and, and led at a London-wide level, and what should be left to local boroughs to commission and deliver locally. And that's why we have those services that we have, Pan London, but that was always intended to be supported and underpinned by uh, services that are commissioned at a local borough level. So how is um, the London HIV Prevention Programme funded and what's the role of elected members and even London councils in the programme? So the funding for the programme comes out of the public health grant that comes from the Department of Health to every London council and uh, every participating council contributes an amount into the total LHPP budget um, and that amount is weighted according to a complex formula that assesses um, the prevalence of HIV in that borough and weights that against uh, various other things around population. So the total budget for next year for the programme is just over a million pounds um, and that's been the same pretty much for the last few years. The role of London councils is absolutely key in, in, in that process, not least in other ways, because 
Um, London councils as the body that brings together the boroughs and is the, is the membership body and brings together the political leadership of the boroughs has been instrumental in ensuring that um, from, from, mem- sorry, from officers up to members up to leaders that the decision to continue to create in the first place and then to continue with this programme um, was able to be taken and also to build the consensus and make the business case to do so. So we've now had three periods in history where we've gone to leaders via London councils um, at the Leaders Committee and, and made the case for, number one, the creation of this programme, which was in 2014. Number two, when we went to the councils in to the Leaders Committee in 2016 to secure funding through to 2019. And then just before Christmas, we were involved in the process. I, I contributed to the business case that was heard by London Council's Leaders Committee to continue funding this programme. And I'm very pleased to say that the programme has been commissioned to deliver until at least March 2022. Now, Lambeth Council, as the borough that hosts the, the, the programme, um, partly because it has the highest prevalence of HIV, but also it contributes on that formula, it contributes the most into the programme. Um, Lambeth Council was nominated to lead this programme back in 2014 by leaders and Lambeth still leads that programme and that's why I and my team are based within Lambeth Council but we commission and deliver services on behalf of the participating 32 boroughs. London's leading the way compared to other cities across the country in terms of lower HIV diagnosis. Can you explain why this is and what role you think the programme has played in this success? So London, in some ways, in 2012, 2013, as I said earlier, was doing the worst. And I think that there's, there's something about London, obviously, the size of it, the population, the nature of the population, very diverse, um, quite a young population, that um, any change in the epidemiology of HIV was going to be apparent, um, whether it went better or worse through the years. So, for example, like I say, around the turn of the decade, London was doing particularly badly and stood out in the figures. And now London's doing better arguably because it had um, further to go, but it also had more people in it to see that that change. I think, so London is home to an estimated 39,000 people living with HIV, of which we now know as of data that came up just before Christmas, about 2,000 people remain undiagnosed. But if you'd asked me that five years ago, that figure would have been around, London was home then to around 30,000 people, um, who work with HIV, uh, we used to say around 10,000 of which were undiagnosed. So what we've seen over the last few years is a really significant and, and major increase in the scaling up and promotion of testing. And that in London, unlike other parts of the country, the promotion of testing through things like Do It London, which did a big push on testing, but also the access to testing services has been has really led the way in why we've seen such success around falling incidence and diagnosis rates. Now, for the first couple of years, we, we saw actually an increase in diagnoses. And some people said, well, that's terrible. But actually, that was a function of more testing. And what we're seeing now is the testing rates are staying. In fact, testing rates have gone up year on year. But for the last two years, diagnosis rates have gone down. So actually, what we're doing is we're testing more people, but we're finding fewer with infection. That doesn't mean that we can be complacent because there's still, as I say, around 2,000 people with HIV that don't know it. But I think compared to the rest of the country, which doesn't have dedicated promotion of testing campaigns and as easy access to testing services, that's one of the multiple explanations for why London's done better. 
And you mentioned that there are still some challenges that still exist um, in London. And mm. how do you think the programme needs to reflect that and be responsive to those challenges going forward? So I think that one of the key challenges, of course, is about that undiagnosed figure that there are still people out there who, for whatever reason, don't know they're HIV positive. That's having an impact on them, their own health. It's potentially having an impact on their partner's health because being undiagnosed makes somebody very infectious and therefore more likely to pass on HIV to their partner. So that has an ongoing effect. So I think that we need to do, we need to maintain our, our, our promotion of the importance of frequent regular testing. Um, I think the other element of it is that when we are seeing diagnosis rates going up and, and now starting to fall slightly, we've also seen uh, still what's called late diagnosis at, at, at quite a, a high level. Actually, London is doing much better on late diagnosis than the rest of the country. I think London's late diagnosis rate is that around a third of people who were diagnosed last year were diagnosed at what's classed as late, whereas in some parts of the country that's 40, 50, even 60%. There are some individual boroughs in London who have worse late diagnosis rates, and that's a concern. So I think what we, what we still need to promote is that not just testing as a good thing, but regular testing as, a, as an important thing. We have a challenge in reaching people who, for various reasons, have never tested, don't feel it's relevant to them. And that's a big challenge for our campaign, to make ourselves relevant to them. And then I think the other thing is around wider public health outcomes and behaviour. So what we've seen is a big shift around prevention in the last few years to this emphasis on promotion of testing, and early initiation of treatment. So if somebody's diagnosed HIV positive now, they'll probably be on HIV drugs within a month or two. Five years ago, that could have been a year or two, and that obviously had a knock-on effect to almost infection. But I think that testing and treatment have been the key. Into that mix, we've had the new introduction of pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP as it's called, the anti-HIV drug, um, which has been cited by some people as leading the the, re, uh, the main cause of this drop in infections. In fact, if you ask the epidemiologists at Public Health England if that is the case, they would, they would argue that's not the case, that the main driver of a downturn in infections was testing and treatment, but with a small but significant role played by PrEP. But I think that, that what we do is we need to add all of this into the mix also retaining our importance that the, the old-fashioned condom still has a role to play in sexual health because what we're seeing is London's doing pretty well on HIV diagnosis going down but we're not doing so well on STI diagnoses and, and there is some controversy over this but if you ask any of my colleagues in public health they will say that as public health people we care not just about HIV we care about a person's broader sexual health so there's still quite a lot to do and where the campaign can do this is that the campaign, I think, has been very good at evolving with the times. So we launched the, I think it was the fifth in our series of campaigns in 2017. Um, and that campaign included the promotion of PrEP and what's called Undetectable, or U equals U in that campaign. And that was the first public campaign to do so, the first publicly funded campaign to do so. And actually that was before the PrEP trial launched the month after that. Um, so we've been really trying to educate the public on the latest science of HIV or the, the, the sort of new news about HIV as and when it's happening. And we're able to do that because we have such short turnaround times between when the campaign gets designed and when it goes live. So if I was maybe a bread manufacturer, you know, I've got my product that's coming out with nice granary loaf with lovely seeds in, and I would probably know that I was doing that a year in and I'd be market, working with my marketing team to, to build that campaign to launch 
this time next year, but actually on our campaign, we design a campaign and it's live within two months. It makes it quite busy and quite stressful, but it also makes it relevant. So Public Health England predicts that London will succeed with eliminating HIV altogether. Do you believe this can be achieved? Um, I think we have to be careful in terms of using the term elimination, actually, and it's something I've noticed in the, the Fast Track Cities um, uh, material. We talk about um, ending HIV by 2030. I think we have to be really clear that what we're talking about there is ending new infections of HIV by 2030. And I think there is definitely, if the trend continues with what we've seen in the last three years, there is definitely the potential for HIV to be, for there to be very few diagnoses even sooner than that, by 2025, and arguably potentially one or two or a handful of cases by 2030. What we should always be careful about saying is when we say we're going to eradicate HIV, we desperately want a cure. And I think that research into a cure has been ongoing and still very elusive. But what we really should be careful about saying is we want to see an end to HIV infections, but we also want to see people living with HIV continue to live well and better and longer and that actually um, we don't want to um, re-stigmatise HIV by saying that we're going to eradicate it because actually people talk about we want to reduce prevalence. Well, prevalence only goes down if people move away from the area that you're counting or if they die, unfortunately. And what we want to see is no AIDS deaths, no HIV-related deaths other than from natural old age causes and ultimately the cure for HIV. Excellent. That, that seems a, as a real possibility. So what, what do you think the future of the programme is and what, what do you predict will happen in, say, five years' time in terms of the, the programme maybe focusing on other public health issues? Good question. So we're talking now in the spring of 2019 um, and, as I say, we've just, before Christmas, found out we've got the programme for three more years. Uh, the programme on a very practical level, I've, that's allowed me to recruit to my team, which has had lots of vacancies and we're now able to crack on and get, get ready to deliver the, the next work that has to be done for this year. I think I'm already thinking about 2020 onwards, um, so how this campaign and how the services that we run that are not advertising evolve to meet the needs of people living in this city. And I think there's some work to be done around looking at how people's relationships, sex lives, social lives are evolving in the age that we live in through technology particularly and to make the campaign fit with those and relevant to those. I think as I said earlier that there is the big push around sexual health and the rise in other STIs which is a concern and how we address that whilst also not taking our eye off the HIV prize that we're working towards of zero infections. I think there's also a bigger contextual thing which is around the public finances I'm sure all of the listeners to this podcast will be very well aware of what's been going on. And, you know, the public health grant was transferred to local authorities, ostensibly ring-fenced for, for public health use, but then cut year on year since 2015. So by 2020, my budget for this programme will have been cut by uh, about 15%, but equally, so will all public health services. So what we're looking at is, what does that mean post-2020? We've got a spending review coming up, um, I think it'll be very interesting to see um, in the context of the NHS long-term plan, which is a big emphasis on prevention, where does sexual health prevention promotion sit in with that? And I think that what we've proved in London, despite all of the rhetoric that, London, that local councils, not just London councils, all the rhetoric that said in 2012 and 13 that local councils would never be able to do, first of all, public health, 
in general, but specifically sexual health, that your council talks to you about your bins and your, maybe your social care, but it never talks to you about sex. I think we disproved that very, very strongly and, and, and we, we continue to disprove that. Um, and I think that that sets a precedent for doing other pressing public health issues. That brings us to the end of another London Council's Let's Talk About podcast. If you'd like to learn more about HIV in London, please visit our website or the Do It London website. Thanks again to our guest Paul Steinberg and thank you for listening. <laughs>